0: The first reading today is taken from Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 51. Samaritan opposition. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, "'Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them?' But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. The cost of following Jesus. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, "'I will follow you wherever you go.' Jesus replied, "'Foxes have dens and birds have nests, "'but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head.' He said to another man, "'Follow me.' But he replied, "'Lord, first let me go and bury my father.' Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And the second reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6. Generosity encouraged. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift.
1: Well, hi there, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm one of the ministers from St Matthews. Great to be with you again today. Now, something that I've heard more and more of recently is people saying things like, I wish my life was more complicated or what I'm really missing in my life is complexity. Well, of course not. I do hear pretty much the opposite quite often. My life's too complicated. I I just have too much going on. There's too much for me to manage. I'm really battling to focus here. And it's hard to doubt that we live in one of the most complex eras of all time. The technology that was supposed to uh, make our lives simpler in many ways has made our lives more comfortable, but that doesn't equate with simpler, and it certainly doesn't equate with better. It probably just means that we sweat less. Well, today we're thinking about simplicity, and it's true that some of the reasons why life is complicated are beyond our control. For example, if you're suffering a debilitating illness or you're caring for someone, who's, for someone who's suffering a debilitating illness, that complicates your life and you can't just simplify away depression or dementia or cancer. If you're finishing up university and you're graduating into a depleted job market because there's a global pandemic, that is a complex scenario if you're just Trying to find a job in a depleted job market. It's a complex scenario that's just beyond your control. It's much bigger than you and you really just have to do your best, all things considered. But one of the things that is within our control, as far as simplicity is concerned, is our consumption and our accumulation of possessions. And to put it boldly, which I'm qualified to do, we not only have too much stuff in our schedules, which we spoke about a few weeks ago, we've got too much crap in our homes, all of which takes up energy, thought, gray matter, so much time to buy and to clean and to organize. And the problem with that is that we're not able to focus on what really matters if we've got to also keep thinking about a whole ton of stuff that doesn't really matter it's like the uh, the juggling balls that nathan had a few weeks ago so much energy keeping everything going holding it all together that it's a battle to focus on anything at all let alone the most important things for very long well in our series what are you doing we're looking at godly habits that will help us grow as disciples of jesus by being with jesus that is spending time with him by becoming like jesus and then by serving jesus in the world and that's because we recognize that we are shaped by forces like the the stories or the narratives of our culture by our friendships the company that we keep and by habits that we often develop uh, which often influence us or disciple us in the ways of the world rather than in the will of God and so we've looked at the idea of being in the presence of God uh, of rest of self-denial of neighbor and we've grounded those in habits like silence and solitude and prayer uh, Sabbath fasting and hospitality and today we finished the series we're looking at the idea of simplicity and we're gonna ground that in the habit of generosity and tithing. Well, that's a little bit later on. Right now, I wanna share with you the bare facts of our consumption, and then we'll quickly look at the benefits of simplicity, which are really the benefits of less, and perhaps the easiest way to understand the sheer weight of our problem with consumption, that we just have too much stuff, is via some simple statistics. So how about these to get you thinking? The average size of the American house has nearly tripled in the last 50 years. But according to a Comsec Home Trends report released just last week, Australia is building the biggest houses in the world. And the largest houses in Australia are in Canberra. I bet you didn't guess that. Conservatively, there are at least 200,000 items in the average Australian home. And yes, every fork counts as one item, but that's a lot of forks, isn't it? So unsurprisingly, when uh, asked how much spare room Aussies have in their home, 20% said they barely have room for themselves, and 70% said they need more. The average 10-year-old has more than 200 toys but plays with just 12 daily. Women will spend eight years of their lives shopping. Now, I thought that, was, that couldn't be right. And so I checked and I rechecked, and apparently that's right, women will spend... Eight years of their lives shopping, and ladies, if you think I'm picking on you, how about this? Men will spend a total of 3,680 hours, that is 153 days of their lives, searching for some 200,000 misplaced items. They will spend one month of their lives looking for socks. So, come on, gents, lift your game. Well, that really is just a snapshot to get you thinking. Uh, sometimes our lives are busy, uh, a complex for reasons beyond our control. But for many of us, we have simply spent and accumulated our way out of simplicity. And of course, the real problem with the numbers is the distraction that it all represents. So Joshua Becker great hair, by the way. Joshua Becker, former Christian pastor and now best-selling author of the Becoming Minimalist website, tells the story of one Saturday spent in his home in suburban Vermont. He was cleaning out the garage while his five-year-old son was playing alone in the backyard, wishing that he could play with his dad. And Becker struck up a conversation with a neighbor of his who simply commented, maybe you don't need to own all this stuff. Well, the juxtaposition was striking, said Becker. My possessions piled up in the driveway, my son waited in the backyard, my day slipped away, and I immediately recognised something needed to change. My belongings were not adding value to my life. Instead, they were subtracting from it. Well, that is the problem, isn't it? Our culture says the more stuff you have, the happier you will be you add possessions you add life but beyond a fairly basic point that's just not true they don't add life and all too often they subtract from life taking away our focus on the things that matter the most in Luke chapter 9 that was read to us earlier the Lord Jesus offers a striking contrast and to me it's most striking because of his focus and its simplicity So read along Luke chapter 9 verse 51, recognizing that the time was approaching for him to be taken up to heaven. That is via his suffering, his death and then his resurrection, Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. I think it's a vivid picture of single mindedness, isn't it? You can almost visualize him turning his face southwards, I guess, resolving never to look back. And in the next little section, you can quite clearly hear his commitment, his determination, his concentration on that singular mission. When a Samaritan village he was passing through rejected him, his disciples wanted to call down fire from heaven in judgment, as you do. But Jesus is not swayed by their basic desire for vengeance. He effectively says, don't be stupid. We've got a job to do here. And then he's later confronted by two people who want to follow him But in a way that I think sounds harsher than Jesus intends, he tells them that their family entanglements, they're gonna get in the way of following him. And he certainly won't get weighed down by material possessions. Uh, He meets a man who pledges to follow Jesus wherever he goes. I mean, that's a bold claim, don't you think? He can't have known Jesus' itinerary. And you'd expect Jesus to welcome that support given that he's just experienced rejection. But he replies curtly in verse 58. Read along with me. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. In other words, are you ready to embrace homelessness? Man, I hope you don't come from Canberra with all those big houses. Revenge doesn't distract Jesus and material possessions do not encumber him. And as jarring as Jesus sounds, you have to admit that there is a simplicity, a single-mindedness, a focus to his words and his life that is really quite a contrast to our lives, even just the burden that our physical possessions seem to place upon them. The sheer weight of them is just at odds with the simple way Jesus seems to move lightly through this world. And so I suspect that if we want to spend time with Jesus and become like Jesus and serve him in the world we're going to need to spend less and acquire less and maintain less now as Joshua Becker among many others discovered there is a whole lot of benefit of living with less and of living more simply I know that our culture tells us that more stuff will make us more productive and more happy and more significant. And I realize that advertising often attempts to sell uh, this one last product as the thing that will really unlock your potential or your lasting contentment. Uh, I know that the basics or the basis of economics in the Western world really aspires to quarter upon quarter of continual growth, which necessarily means ever increasing consumption. And even technology forces us sometimes to spend more, even when we don't want to. You know, phone batteries die and cars rust out and my old internet browser is no longer supported. I I get all that. I'm just suggesting that there are benefits of less. For example, if you have less stuff, you discover you have more money. That is greater financial freedom. You have more time because you've got less stuff to look after, to clean, to organise. You've got less stress because there's less clutter that's always in your face, occupying that low-level subconscious energy. You'll have more freedom with less stuff. Uh, you're likely to be more productive. It's likely to be better for our environment. Most importantly, I think, you'll have more opportunity to pursue your greatest passions, the things that matter the most. And that really is the basis of focus. You'll have space for faith and family and friends. And that's just some of the many benefits of owning less. And you can probably work out I really am an enthusiast for it. And so I trust that sounds really appealing, the hope of being unburdened by the sheer weight our physical possessions and freed up to focus on that which really counts but of course the question is well how do we do that in practice well there are plenty of books and websites that can help you out you could start by googling Joshua Becker and tapping into his becoming minimalist website but here are a few suggestions for you this coming week could you go for one day or maybe even two or three days without buying anything? Could you remove the clutter from one room, one closet, one drawer, one desk, giving things away to people who could use them more, upcycling or recycling or thoughtfully disposing of? For every item that comes in, could one go out to somebody else? Could you repair rather than replace something? or just keep what you have rather than upgrading at the first opportunity? Could you enjoy simple pleasures that require no spending or purchases? I mean, how about going for a walk along a world-class beach close to you? Uh, Could you avoid going to the shopping mall for retail therapy or thinking of shopping as entertainment? Could you say no to something that you like, but you don't really need, even when it's on sale. In other words, could you say goodbye to a really good buy? Earlier this year, my eldest son, James, who's a good guitarist, he wanted to buy an expensive guitar. I don't mind spending money on a good guitar because he's a good guitarist and uh, he'll use it for years to come. But he's already got a couple of good guitars. And so I said, what's the rush, son? He said it's 20% off and the sale ends today. Classic sales strategy. So I say, it's 100% if you don't buy it, and that's every day of the year. Classic, dad, come back. But I tell you what, son, you work hard on your HSC this year, and we'll go 50-50 at the end of the year. You get a better discount, I get you to work hard. Everyone's a winner. Here's the thing, by the end of the year, he decided that he no longer wanted that guitar, and now he's renovating an old guitar with new parts and every aspect of that outcome warms my heart, it really does. You can say no to the sale and sometimes just waiting a wee while helps you work out if you really ought to buy something. So there are just some general ideas for how to put this concept of simplicity into practice. But really the habit we want to land on today is the habit of generosity, the practice of tithing and financial giving and as we said one of the great benefits of pursuing a life of less a life of simplicity apart from the focus that it gives you uh, for the things that really matter in life faith family friends is that it gives you buffer uh, a little bit of financial margin you've got more money than you otherwise would because you're living with less you are kind of living smaller in that sense and so you can give more you can live a more generous life now, just within the verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I hope you've got that open in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that we read earlier today, we are given the following encouragements to be generous. Let's read through them together. Verse 6 If you sow generously, you reap generously, and vice versa. Now, that's not an investment strategy. It's just saying God seems to work through your generosity and you don't miss out verse 7 God loves a cheerful giver so give cheerfully verse 8 God's grace will be at work in and through your generosity verse 10 and 11 God will give you what you need in order that you can be generous so in fact this is for everyone everyone can do it verse 11 and 13 people will praise God because of your generosity verse 12 through your generosity you will supply the needs of others verse 14 your generosity leads not only to people praising god but people praying for you i mean that's reason in and of itself but underpinning it all your generosity shows that you understand deeply how generous god has been to you in creating you and forgiving you and dragging you back into a relationship with him through the life death and resurrection of his son So even from that one little passage, there are lots of reasons for being generous. Can I give you one more? I was reading Science Daily this week, it's uh, one of my favorite journals, and it was discussing uh, new research out of Indiana University, which suggests that giving has a further potential benefit, physical attractiveness, who'd have thought? People who were givers were rated as more attractive across three large studies being conducted at different times using different participants and using different methods and measures. How about that? Professor Sarah Conrath noted this, our findings suggest that beauty products and procedures may not be the only way to enhance an individual's attractiveness. Perhaps being generous could be the next beauty trend. Perhaps being generous could be the next beauty trend. Well, there you go. I call it sexy generous now if uh, you're new to St Matthews or perhaps you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian uh, I'm not really talking to you in this next little bit and in any case we don't talk very often about money here but for everyone else let's drill down a level what might sexy generous or just generally generous look like in your life Well, in the Old Testament, the start point was to give a tithe, that is a tenth of their crops or their income for the service of the Lord. So I think 10% is a good start point in your thinking and your decision making. But of course, we've just seen the New Testament promotes generosity, so perhaps you should give more than 10%. And you don't have to give that money to St. Matthew's manly, but you might want to ask yourself this question, if I don't, who will? If this is my family of believers it's no one else's responsibility to supply its needs now i very rarely touch money in this church my experience of it is that it's a good steward of god's money it doesn't waste it it adheres to strict process around budgeting and receiving and the spending of money Uh, Spending is wisely overseen by the parish council and the wardens and the treasurers of the church. Uh, It's reported upon regularly and transparently, like Bruce did last week. So it seems to me there's lots of good reasons to give to your own church. And you can do that quite simply by going to our website. But I can't insist on that from the Bible. And I wouldn't insist on it anyway. Of course you can give to other places. And I would really encourage you to do that. Um, both to mission and to contributing to the needs of poorer folks. Well, in our family, this is how we do it. And uh, to be honest, now is probably the time of the year where we need to have uh, or revisit our arrangements, Uh, especially as we heard last week that as a church, we need to grow in our general giving. Uh, Maybe it's uh, a time for you to have that conversation in your family or household too. But in our household, we give 10% of our income to St. Matthew's Manly, very happy to do that. And we also support a sponsored child, very happy to do that. And uh, a few years ago, I sort of just made a, uh, a pledge in my head that whenever World Vision asked for more money for a special appeal, I would give some. I think they've worked that out too. And so to be completely honest, I don't always take their calls now, just in case. Well, we feel free to give away little bits here and there as the opportunity arises and I think that allows um, me to support the needs of my own spiritual community it allows me to provide for the needs of poor folks It also gives uh, me the freedom or us the freedom to give to other causes and missions and people that I like and it doesn't seem to me to be especially generous I mean I've got friends who have resolved to give away one extra percentage point of their income every year so hope they don't live too long. Uh, And you know, there are uh, people who reverse tie. they can live off 10% of their income and then give the rest away. So there are actually lots of ways to slice and dice this distinctively Christian habit of practicing generosity. And uh, I really do commend this habit to you. Well, friends, let's wrap up today. And let's wrap up the series in general. As Christian people, we were created, we are forgiven, saved, restored into relationship with God and promised an eternal inheritance in heaven, all because of God's grace in the life and work of his son, who resolutely, single-mindedly set out for Jerusalem where he would suffer and die before rising again. Our life and our life in him is all on account of his grace, and we are in that sense unnecessary, merely grateful recipients of his extreme generosity towards us. And you'd have thought, I suppose, as grateful recipients of his generosity, that it would be simple for us to grow as his disciples. And yet we find that the stories that our culture tells us, some of the company that we keep, some of the habits that we have developed, want to influence us or disciple us, in the ways of the world rather than the will of God and so it becomes of us as grateful recipients of his generosity as growing disciples as apprentices of Jesus to tell and retell each other the great gospel story that God would love us so much that we naturally rebel against him that he would give of his son even unto death in our place before rising triumphantly from the grave never to die again And then telling each other what that might mean in our lives that we can enter his presence that we can rest in him take a break that we can say no to ourselves without it killing us that we can serve our neighbor without diminishing ourselves that we can buy less and have less and yet be more content and more generous and more focused So it becomes of us as recipients of grace, as growing disciples and apprentices of Jesus to intentionally form godly habits that might start out as something that we do but which become things that do something to us. To practice silence and solitude and prayer, to enjoy Sabbath rest, to to fast from the goodness of food for the even richer goodness of God to practice hospitality and to become habitually generous people in all our cheerful attractiveness. Now, none of these things are the grounds upon which we are saved by God or loved by him, but they will help us grow. And if one or other of these things is not for you, then that is okay. But can I finish with the title question of our whole series? In that case, what are you doing? Well, amen and amen.